Hello, Peter Squire here, Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board's Vice President, External Relations and Market Intelligence. I'm your host of this special podcast series of The Voice, where we interview 2022 mayoral candidates to hear what they have to say on issues important to the real estate industry. The Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board serves over 2,400 members in and around the Winnipeg metropolitan region who, in 2021, transacted over $6.5 billion in residential real estate through our MLS cooperative selling system and significant amounts of commercial real estate development, sales and leasing through our CPIX commercial real estate system. We believe that real estate is amongst the most important facets of the economy, servicing diverse business sector locations and housing as the anchor to where we live, work, play, and invest in. Welcome Robert Falcon Willette. Thank you for joining us on The Voice today. Let's get started. If elected as mayor, what strategies will you implement to reverse the trend we are seeing where more people are leaving our city to go to other provinces than coming here? Wow, that's a really tough question because uh, I think we have to understand why they're leaving. We do have a lot of newcomers coming into the city, but when you speak to the people who are actually leaving, it's often a lack of jobs or opportunity they feel that's here. You know, when I was the member of parliament in Ottawa, often what I would see is the province not getting their fair share of some of the resources, meaning the province was not investing enough in infrastructure, in good paying jobs, uh, trying to build up our infrastructure. Uh, billions of dollars were going to Ontario. Uh, but not enough were coming here into Manitoba. And if you are anyone and you want to buy a house or you want to have a good paying job, well, you're going to go where the jobs are, even though the housing might be much more expensive elsewhere. So I think we have to be really thinking about like how we keep people here. And that I think is around job opportunities. So if I'm thinking about Manitoba, I'm thinking aerospace. 10% of the uh, aerospace industry is actually here in Manitoba. The Canadian government's about to do a massive investment into a jet fighter program. I'm not saying Winnipeg's going to build the jet fighters, but what I'm saying is after my conversations with the Parliamentary Secretary of National Defense, as well as the Minister, is that we should be going out and lobbying very actively to get those contracts here for the maintenance of that jet fleet. Because if we're doing the maintenance, that is going to be a very long-term contract, up to 40 years. And those are going to be really good-paying jobs for Manitobans. And that's what's going to keep people here. People in aerospace, people in, people in engineering, good-paying jobs that can pay for homes, that can support families, that's going to grow uh, other jobs because they're spin-offs that go into the rest of the community. And so we have to really uh, be, you know, thinking about things like that. It just can't be a one-off where, you know, what happened in the last term, you know, there's a project for, you know, Google Smart City or something like that. And Winnipeg slaps together a proposal in a couple of weeks and sends it in, you know, just to say Mm -hmm. we checked a box. We shouldn't be checking boxes. We should be actively concentrating our resources at the federal, provincial, municipal level with all elected officials working with our uh, developments or economic development arms uh, of all the... uh, right across the province, and then going to make sure that we get those contracts. Atlantic Canada has done an excellent job in doing this with Irving shipyards. They're the ones building all the new Navy frigates and also other things, uh, you know, other Navy ships. We need to get jobs here. And to keep people here, they need good paying jobs. What are your strategies to attract business investment to Winnipeg? And what sectors do you believe should be focused on? 
Agriculture. We are an agriculture province. Once again, the province did not do a good job while I was the member of parliament in making sure that we highlight our really great successes. You know, there was a, a super clusters with billions of dollars investment that were put out by the federal government in various areas, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, even agriculture. The one who got the contract for the agriculture, over a billion dollars, was Saskatchewan. Manitoba, we are a powerhouse in agriculture. We have pork, we have beef, we have dairy, and people want our quality products around the world, and we're not doing enough to promote that. And that's actually jobs for people who live here in Winnipeg, incredibly enough, because they need to you know, service that, they need manufacturing related to agriculture. Mm-hmm. And if you're, not, uh, if you're not supporting that type of industry, supporting your strengths, well, you're going to fall farther and farther behind. Now, I actually want to go back to actually a little bit about how to keep people here. One of the things as well we're not doing well is we're not coordinating enough on the provincial nominee program. Other provinces are coming up and they're scooping up our, our part. And we were innovative in the beginning, many 20 years ago, but we've not been innovative enough. We're not going out promoting Manitoba around the world, whether it's in China. I've actually learned Mandarin in the last five years. So I just said, I like to speak Mandarin. I can speak with Chinese people. And the reason I learned Mandarin is because it's important to be able to communicate with people around the world. If you can't communicate with them, you're not going to be able to convince them to come here and tell them of the benefits, the clean air, the beautiful environment, the things that we have here. Because if we want to grow our province, we're going to have to get more people to move here. And through growth, it's going to add more homes because we're going to be bursting at the seams. Those are jobs because that's manufacturing. We're adding value to something. My issue, once again, is there has been no coordination between the federal government, the province, the municipality, uh, local regional uh, economic development arms to actually go forward and promote that actively overseas in India or in China. And yes, we're getting a lot of people coming here, but it's not enough. And if we can get more people, for instance, to stay downtown, live downtown, develop our downtown, we can get rid of the past that donut. We can get rid of a lot of the crime issues. We can actually create economic development for the people living downtown because there's better shops, more jobs. There's so many advantages to actually moving forward on a lot more issues more aggressively and working together. A different type of leadership, more collaborative style of leadership instead of just like, well, you know, you do your thing, I do my thing, you're blue, I'm red, I'm orange, I'm purple, I'm this color. But actually, how do we actually work together? What steps will you take to address the issue of Manitoba being one of the provinces with a chronic shortage of residential dwelling units? Wow, that's a a really tough one. I know it takes uh, quite a bit of time to get permits. I know there's actually been a war at City Hall on on building uh, new units uh, surrounding growth growth fees and and things like that, which have kind of put a damper on, on growth. But people do need a place to live. While there is the opportunity of trying to get people downtown, people living in the suburbs, people who are used to the suburbs probably aren't going to be living downtown. So I think we, you know, I think these two things are a little bit separate. At the end of the day, I think you have to really go out and make sure that the permitting process is fast, efficient, because people are paying for that. That's a service. Mm -hmm. And so if they're paying for it, they should receive a, a timely answer to their questions. Uh, That's actually one of the 10 principles of leadership with the Canadian Forces, where I served for 27 years. And, you know, one of those principles is timely decisions. So not waiting around for months and months on end for someone to come out and check something. You know, I remember when I first uh, started my office as the member of parliament, you know, we did a handicapped bathroom. It took months 
and months for the city to come out and just check on the washroom. And then they were saying, well, you can't go in your location. Well, if I can't be in my location, I can't offer services to citizens. You know, it's a catch-22, but you need the handicapped washroom to offer those services. But actually, here's actually a suggestion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm and I'm going to be honest. I'm not the expert in all of this. You are. So at the end of the day, what really needs to happen is we need to sit down with the people who are in these industries and have the discussions about what actually needs to occur to make sure that you have, you know, the full input to make a good decision, to help us make a good decision. Because if at the end of the day, if, you know, you're expecting the mayor to make decisions on everything, I, I don't think it's going to be appropriate. And I think that's the, you know, perhaps an old school of, or way of doing politics. But really what we should be doing is thinking actually about collaboration, how we work together. Because you're experts and we have to rely on that expertise to, in order to grow uh, what it is we need to create jobs, create opportunity, because what we want is a safe and thriving and livable city. One thriving because, you know, we want to keep people here. I want my friends to remain here. I don't want them, you know, graduating from university and moving to Toronto or moving to Montreal or Calgary or Vancouver or somewhere else. You know, we need to keep them here. We train them here. We want to keep them here. How will you build and lead a team at City Council to ensure we receive funding to support growth enabling infrastructure? Ah, even a, that's even a better question. Um, so one of the issues I've discovered when I speak to all the city councillors is they, a lot of them feel very abused by the actual system. Uh, some feel very excluded by how the system works. And so I think this is the wrong style of leadership where the mayor, strong arm mayor system, where they impose their will upon council. What we need to have is an elected executive policy committee where we have the full involvement of everyone. So what I'm willing to do is give up control of that because I think, you know, if we work together collaboratively, we can all benefit. And what I'm proposing is the city councillors elect themselves, the members to the executive policy committee with an occasional rotation on an annual basis to make sure that there is a diversity of views on the executive policy committee. Because if we're all working together, if you get someone who's from Transcona and someone from Charleswood or people from the inner city or people from South St. Vital, you know, if we're all working together, it's going to be much better because once you have a good debate and a diversity of views, you can actually come up with better solutions because you'll hear different points of view instead of putting forward a policy or a bylaw that, you know, maybe is actually not beneficial to certain groups or certain people in the city. So really, it's actually, it comes down to about a, a bit of a leadership style and not to ensuring like, you know, the mayor's been using kind of that carrot and stick approach quite often. You do what I want or I'm going to remove you from this committee or remove you from this board and you will receive less salary unless you vote along the lines that I want. Because the mayor doesn't know everything, neither, is, neither does his inner circle. What we need is working together because, you know, you're going to get a better decision in the long term. Thanks for that. What benchmarks and actions will you take to move key projects ahead faster to sustain delivery of core civic services? Well, let's talk about a core civic service of mental health, addiction, safety, policing in the uh, inner city. Politicians love checking boxes. We, uh, you know, they make a promise and then they go make a policy announcement later on and they allocate a hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, whatever it is. And they do a little press conference, they check the box and then they go focus on what they want. What I've discovered when I was a member of parliament is the levels of government do not talk to each other. I was actually most surprised by that. Apart from arriving at a press conference where you have a conversation for five minutes on the side with someone, there is no deep, in-depth thoughts about the overall impacts of what we're doing and how to coordinate those efforts. So when we talk about, for instance, safety in the city, the buses, bus shelters, homeless population, mental health and addictions, because there's no coordination of that between levels of government, community organizations, 
or even the regional health authority or even school trustees, we have no end to solution. If we just keep repeating over and over and over again the same things for the last 30 years. And the problem with that is, you know, since we don't find a solution, people get tired of it. Some people find Winnipeg unsafe, so they move away. Let's all be honest. So what we actually need to do is sit down and have a conversation, establish an action plan with everyone involved in the room in deep conversation, and then follow up with an action plan. Make sure that people have, have you done what you're supposed to do? You said you were going to be doing this. Have you completed that? And allow communication as well between the community groups because one community group might be doing something and thinking of doing something else, but this other community group might already be doing it. So why do two things at the same time? Create levels of administration and waste in the system. There are so many resources we put towards this, uh, these issues, but we never actually come to an end result where it's beneficial to us all. What I actually really dream about is actually my little girl who's 10 could ride the bus like she could in Quebec City or in Montreal or in Halifax or in Calgary and be safe. Would people allow their children to get on the bus here in Winnipeg? Take policing, for instance. How successful have the police been in solving crime? In fact, actually, they're the, one of the lowest in the country in crime solve rates, but we pay the most in the country for our police. But what we say is, well, there's a lot of crime. We need to put more money into the policing. So how do we encourage innovation in policing? Those are clear metrics. Because if someone's going out and stealing a bike once and twice and 10 times and 20 times and 100 times, and they never stop because it's a petty crime, we are all impacted by that. And that is a problem because people, if whether you're in the inner city and you're indigenous or you're in the south end of the city, if your bike is stolen, your little kid is crying because they haven't got their bike because it was taken from the front yard, even though it was locked up, you are angry. And when the police say, well, you know, it's not really a top priority right now, you have to file a report and just goes into the database, we need to be solving these things. And if the police need help with this, you know, how can we help? What can we be doing with all these organizations to make sure that we're taking the police away from dealing with mental health challenges, dealing with homelessness, dealing with people with addictions issues? Take addictions. Addictions, there is a nine-month waiting period to get addictions treatment. And I've had people mm -hmm. who've come to my office who I've met actually just even recently who say, I want to get off drugs, but, you know, they have to wait months and months in order to get that treatment. In the meantime, they're out on the streets causing chaos. They're making the streets feel unsafe. They're making people feel unsafe. And what we really need to do is make sure that we give people the help they need right away, get them housing, and coordinate with people. It's a, you know, it, leadership is not about checking a box. It's actually about, you know, working with people, bringing people together, and then following up with people to make sure we've actually accomplished what we're supposed to do. And it's a philosophy. It's kind of a vision for what we need to do. You know, I don't have the solutions to everything. But what I do know about is trying to get and mobilize people around an issue to make sure we can actually adequately deal with it. We're not going to be able to solve all the homelessness issue. But what we can do is make, make a big dent in it so that we actually have a better, safer, more thriving and livable city. That's a good summation, uh, Robert. And I, I really enjoyed doing this podcast with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I'm having a good time. And, and love your energy. Do we have and, to stop? Yeah. Let's yeah, keep going. I know. <laughs> But you're not going to stop because you've got a campaign to run for over the next two months. So all I can say is I wish you the best of luck days. in your campaign and to share some of the wisdom you've shared with us today for our members and the public in this podcast. It says means truth. Thank you for participating and sharing your vision on issues important to the Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board, its members, stakeholders, and all Winnipeggers. 
To our valued listeners, please tune in for more episodes of The Voice, where we invite mayoral candidates to share their vision for Winnipeg.